Hello and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Alternative London Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Means. In this episode, I sit down with the legendary sculptor, metal worker and street artist, Jonesy. Jonesy's worked as a bronze maker since the 1980s, creating works for some of the most well-known artists of our times. But it's his miniature bronze sculptures that have been popping up around East London for over a decade that has led him to become one of the East End's most endearing street artists. As with all these episodes, we just go with the flow, and this conversation quickly turned to Jonesy's principal passion, which is the foundation of the majority of his works, the environment. I've been really looking forward to getting him on the podcast, and it's always a privilege to have him share his wisdom. I learned a lot in this episode, and I hope you enjoy this one too. So, here it is, the Alternative London Podcast with Jonesy. So, Saturday afternoon in the Alternative London studio with... Both well, of us with a smile on our faces. Yeah, I know. Massive... Well, i got a massive... i got a massive smile every time I see you, Jonesy. Um, I was in a right bad mood this morning. <laughs> as soon as I see you, I'm, uh, I'm smiling again. Don't know why you just do that to me. Yeah, you're an absolute legend. And I'm so, um, so happy that you're here doing this. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, not too bad. What's I'm going the on? best week, but yeah, it's yeah. What's been going on? Uh, well, started a fire. That wasn't good news. Uh, nothing damaged apart from a, a, a cloth screen, but yeah, it was a bit exciting at the time. Yeah, you've got a bit of a fire start ahead. You go <laughs> actually on you with the uh, with the green and the spikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always got this tinge of green from the foundry on me. I think. Yeah, oh, is that from the foundry, is it? Yeah, it's all the copper, I think, in the in the air and kind of dye your hair green just when you don't want it. Wow. Well, those of you that, um, well, that don't know who Jonesy is, Jonesy is a, is a sculptor, an artist, and your full-time job, you work in the foundry, you make sculptures. Yeah, I'm a metal finisher and uh, sometimes do scaling up, but I haven't done that for a while. I think it's... A lot of that work that was done by hand is done by computers and, um, you know, that type of technology these days can be the printing. Really? Like 3D printing? 3D like printing, yeah. Quite, quite a lot of things are 3D printed where they were, in the past, they were scaled up, you know, using a pointing system. Right. And you don't do any, they don't do any of that sort of stuff? Uh, wow. uh, no, sometimes it's still done, um, but it's mostly done by printing these days. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, your kind of main job is in the is in the foundry, but I suppose what most of our sort of followers and people would know you for is is your street art, which is very unique. I don't know anyone else that does bronze sculptures and welds them into lampposts and sticks them into walls. I think you're probably actually the only bronze street artist in the world. Coming to think of it, aren't uh, I don't know. Re- recently, uh, um, I seen there was a French guy who had made a couple of little street art pieces in bronze. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah they were quite nice little pieces. Yeah. Some little figures. Oh, wicked. Yeah, so there is that kind of crossover, isn't there, between your kind of, I suppose, your day job and your street artwork. So how long have you been working in metal? Um, since uh, 1998. Right, OK. I thought it was earlier than that. I thought no, you moved 1998. To I thought you moved to London to become a No, no sorry, 1988. 1988. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I always do that, 1998. So when I was just a little boy, yeah, you were... Um, you were 
out there doing doing your apprenticeship, was it? Well, the foundry is not exactly an apprenticeship, but it kind of it kind of is a, in a way. It takes a few years to get to know all the skills needed. So yeah, probably I don't know how many years, but yeah, a few years to get to know everything. Yeah. So you came in from Wales, didn't you? Yeah, I'd worked in a little foundry in Wales. I'd swapped uh, my labour. Um, for casting things in a little foundry that was in Penarth at the time mm -hmm. and they closed down and the guy moved to um, Martin Bellwood foundry he moved to Mid Wales so I was kind of part of the reason why I'd moved to London along with a girlfriend I had at the time fancied moving to London and yeah I just got a job in the in the foundry more or less stayed stayed there since apart from some time working in France and with Barney Flanagan in Ibiza uh, for one summer. Every time I see you, I'm like, oh, what have you been working on? And you're like, oh, nothing much, just like this Tracy Emmy thing or a Anthony Gormley thing or something, like absolutely massive. <laughs> um, yeah, we, yeah, the foundry does a lot of the big names, I think, in, in London, a lot of the, the main people. It's probably one of the last foundries left, isn't it? Uh, there's some other small ones. Um, Bronze Age is a little one down in Limehouse. Mm -hmm. they, they're still going. There's a few around. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the attraction for you to go into sort of metalworking? Did you study art? Uh, yeah, I, and I had already made a few small bronze pieces. Uh, as I said earlier, I worked in uh, the foundry in, in Wales, casting some pieces of mine there. And I always liked the material, I liked the quality of it. I liked the fact that it kind of lasted a long time as well. Uh, and I was a big fan of kind of Celtic um, bronze pieces, where, right. you know, at the time. I still like that now. I mean, I think it's a kind of beautiful stuff. It uh, is the material beautiful. itself was so kind of luscious sometimes if it's worked. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it can be, yeah. It can be seen a bit old-fashioned sometimes, I think, but... Uh, for me, that wasn't a problem. I think a lot of things are coming full circle now. The last podcast that we did was with Nadia, who runs a jewellery company called Stucky, and we are talking a lot about how people, um, I think maybe even more so since the pandemic, when people felt very disengaged from kind of real life and everything was online and on computers, you've seen people really wanting to get back to doing things with their hands and a real desire for craft and craftspeople, I think, these days. Yeah, I kind of think you're right. I mean, it, in, for me, it seems to be like kind of splitting in two, two directions. There are those that are going kind of with the tech and there are people then that want to go back uh, to using their hands. Um, and I, I think both things are, are valid. I mean, I, I don't have a... Personally, I, I'm not too good in the tech stuff, so I do the, the traditional things. Most of the time when I sort of talk about you on the tours, I do talk about you as one of my favourite street artists. And <laughs> I think, yeah, just the way that... Um, Thank you. Yeah. No, you really are, actually. I don't just say that. You really are. Just the way that... Just what you do, I think, is so unique. And I think it's so beautiful but I also love the concept sort of um that you have to look for it that you that it's only there for people that really want to find it and that's something really I'm not so sure if that's so much by design because in a way I, I do want a big audience for the thing because 
of the work because for me it's about the you know trying to uh, put across an environmental message with most of the work yeah. um so it's it's not about hiding it away necessarily it, it's just a coincidence of the of of what i make you know it, it it's limited in in how much i can afford to pay for things and how much i can handle because most of the time i like doing uh, that type of work on my own sometimes i'll go out with other artists and paste things up mm. But I kind of quite like doing the bronze things on my own, and I, you know, for me, it's uh, I don't know more of a private thing. Yeah. Um, so I can only handle small things, but I'd love to have it uh, more attention sometimes because I said it's about it, it's about the environment. It's trying to you know be part of that uh, wave of people that are trying to stop it. Yeah, I mean, it's very um, environmentally focused, isn't it? And um, I think not just even just saying uh, the environment is like a broad term. I think what a lot of your work does have quite um, specific messages, doesn't it? You're talking about how many oil barrels have been spilled. You're talking about uh, solutions of how people can actually transition away from... Uh, uh, well, yeah, I, if... It, you know, if there's a problem, it's always nice if you can to try and suggest uh, possible solutions to it because there's no point just complaining about something unless there's something that can be done about it. Uh, and I, I do think, well, obviously there is things that can be done about it that, are, that aren't being done. Uh, one of the focuses um, that I've been working on recently is, um, is geopolymer concretes. It's one thing that the world would benefit from using a lot more than they are instead of uh, traditional concretes. Um, concrete at the moment is the th uh, fourth biggest contributor of CO2 after oil, gas and coal. Uh, and it's the biggest, it's the most used material on the planet after water. Uh, wow. And it, yeah, it produces a lot of CO2 uh, and uh, there's an alternative to it at the moment, which is, uh, it, it's a rediscovery and and a rethinking of the um, traditional Roman concrete, which is, uses another way of setting the concrete. Uh, and uh, they've discovered that it's stronger, it's more durable, it's acid resistant, it's heat resistant, it outperforms concrete on every level. Is it more expensive? No, it's cheaper to make because it's, um, it doesn't use as much. Well, the difference between geopolymer and ordinary concrete is they still both use lime, but geopolymers, um, the the lime is 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 cooked for for I think they said six hours, which is quite a long time, but it's two and a half days uh, to make traditional concrete, so that's quite a big difference. I think um, the literature I've, I've read on it. It is about 20% of the CO2 compared to normal concrete. And I said it outperforms it, it's recyclable. Um, so yeah, it would, it would be a, a great thing if we were using a lot more of it. Yeah. And I, I think that, like, I think there are, from what I've read, there are, there are ways of doing it that you don't even need to, um, to heat the lime as well. But I don't really know all the tech, because there's, there's different recipes for it. The Australians at the moment seem to be um, the only country that's really trying to develop it in a big way. There's some development in America, but I hardly heard of anything in this country. I haven't heard of it before. Right, a lot of people haven't heard of it. It's you know, it's a, it's 
I don't know why it's astonishing, isn't it? That like it feels like there are, it feels like most of the solutions are kind of there, doesn't it? It feels like the 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 problem is solvable, but just not within the current framework of the system that we're living in. Yeah, I, I suppose another one of those is um, is the wind farms and hydrogen gas. At, at some point, and I don't think it'll be too long. I mean, the, the transition at the moment is towards um, electric cars with batteries. And I'm not so sure how long that'll be sustainable for, because they're using rare earth materials, uh, and um, there's, there's a limited supply of that. Limited. Yeah, and other ones as well. Same, I don't know the technical mm -hmm. stuff of what it is, but um, I know that it's in short supply. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, hydrogen fuel cells, I think, are a more sustainable uh, resource. And at the moment, there's wind farms that are, are turned off because there's no demand for the electricity. They can't store it, so they say. But they could be turning it into hydrogen gas because you can run a current through water and you can make hydrogen gas and oxygen. So that's a thing that's, that could be developed and that's not being. It's so frustrating, isn't it? It is, because the cost of it for uh, quality of life and, you know, just the monetary cost will be horrendous. And what the work that you're doing is calling out that sort of stuff, as we said. But you must have been someone that was quite early in the um, environmental activism. Yeah, well, I, I felt that, to be honest, I, I suppose, for a long time, that working in the foundry, there's quite a lot of artists that I meet there with where they work, in a, and as we said earlier, um, a lot of the big names and things. It, things have changed a bit now, but um, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, most people were still in denial of the fact that it was actually happening. Um, and um, I was aware that it was, and I think a lot of people were as well, but were just in denial of it, you know, like still today. If they don't believe that it's happening now, it's not because the evidence isn't there and it's not because they don't know about it. Yeah, I think um, I, just, I very briefly saw a clip over the last few days, so I'm not going to um, sort of be quoted on it, but there, there was a someone who worked in a very high up position in one of the big fossil fuel companies and he just sort of kind of openly admitted that for the last 20 or 30 years they've been actively misleading the public. Um, yeah. So we know all of this and the fact that they're not being held to account and things aren't being rapidly changed. I mean, just before we started recording, we were just, um, we were talking about what an absolute shambles and a mess the, the current state of British politics is, which is something that at the minute I'm feeling increasingly um, angry about, to be honest, because I think that um, whatever people in the UK have voted for, I think that at the minute we, we deserve better, but I think um, the fact that they are actively still opening up new um, oil fields, the fact that Yeah, they it's are, kind of crazy. It's, it's, it's criminal, isn't yeah. it? And, and at what point does all this evidence come to the fore and actually mean anything? That's, that's what's... Um, it's like we're living in a parallel world. 
I read a great uh, title on something and it, uh, about uh, climate change, and it it said uh, the title was uh, the 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 biggest case of collective um, treason ever. And and you kind of think that it's right, really, because a lot of the people that um, were responsible for looking after us were actually helping the oil companies to hide what was going on. So in a way, that was a, it was a kind of a treason in a way because they had been employed to look after the public, not um, you know oil companies or uh, corporations. So yeah, it's it's a bit sad that. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Do you think there's do you think there's hope? Well, we've gone past the tipping point, uh, which we did in 2013, which the scientists for the last 25, 30 years warned us that we shouldn't go past 400 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere. We hit that target in 2013. Um, and it's only got worse as well. Yeah, and at the time, I remember the scientists saying that the CO2 gets into the atmosphere, it takes about 10 years for it to uh, take effect, for it to start kicking in, which is round about now really from when we hit the tipping point and uh, yeah you know it's kind of a if you look at the permafrost situation in in Canada Siberia and you know it, it, it's horrendous really the the amount of um, thawing that's occurring so it's it's difficult to be optimistic but you know obviously one would like to be optimistic and I think maybe we're living in a in a time of politics where it does feel like um, it can't go much further than this. I think that's one of the kind of, um, I think that's one of the maybe positives that we can take from it. That that maybe, um, yeah, we, we get to a point now where I think people are realising that the people that well, yeah, and maybe you know, maybe if people are determined, um, then they you know do carbon capture or something. You know, there's there's a chance when things start to get really expensive, maybe maybe people will, uh, you know, focus on it properly. Mm. You know, I, I kind of thought that 20 years ago we should have been mobilising the country like we were at war. Yeah. You know, yeah, to, sure. to put in place this infrastructure that would save us. And if we'd actually done that now, um, financially we'd be in a better position because we wouldn't be subject to, uh, you know, the whims of, of foreign countries putting their gas prices up, whatever. Yeah, so in short, it's an absolute fucking mess. And uh, but I like the fact that your that your artwork does at least challenge a lot of these ideas and at least kind of puts those those ideas out there as well. Because um, for for something that could just be seen as something that's like I was saying before, it's kind of unique and it's very beautiful to have that kind of that weight with a message behind it as well. That's the icing on the cake, I think. It means something to people, doesn't it? Um, I hope so. I, I think I, it does, When we, because we, we talk to a lot of people that, that see your work, you see, and you probably, you know what, you probably don't actually talk to as many people as we do that see your work, <laughs> thinking well, yeah. about it. You know, we, we yeah. speak to people every day that see your work, and genuinely, they, they do really love it. Yeah, you, ne you never really know what people think of your work. No. So it's a bit, yeah. It's a bit of a risk. You gotta have, you just gotta have confidence. I kind of thought, you know, in a way, a long time ago, that um, it's a privilege to be an artist. You know, that it, um, because a potential you have a voice. And I kind of thought, well, you know, if I've got anything to say, then 
you know, it, it, it's a privilege to be able to say it. So you, you best say something that's worth saying. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've always tried to do that. I've never made, my work's never really been about me. It's, you know, it's just been about trying to say those things. How many street pieces, I was going to say, how many street pieces do you think you've put out over the years? About three years ago, I, I um, went through and counted up how many bronzes and I put over 65 out. Yeah. I was surprised. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think there was anywhere near that. And then, then when I counted them, I thought, shit, that's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. All around the East End as well. Mostly, it's some, some in Camden. Uh huh. But mostly the East End and, and yeah, a few in Camden. Wow. And. Uh, that, the, the amount of financial outlay for that alone. Well, as I said, working in the foundry, it, you know, it's been, it, you know, that's really why I was working there. It hasn't cost me that much because the, the material itself is not so expensive. Mm -hmm. It costs me at the moment, uh, well, it's, gone, it's just gone up. It was £15 a kilo and now it's gone up to around 20 a kilo, I think. So that's what it cost me, and that's that. And when I say that, that's that's the finished product because the manager divides it up like that. There's a bit of it for wax, bit of it for the gas, bit of it for the metal. So it, I think, bronze itself is about five pound a kilo. But you know, the whole process, it, that's what it costs. How long does it take you to make each piece? Uh, it can take about. It usually takes me about six weeks to make a piece. It's I, not six, no it's not six weeks full full work no. time at all. I mean, in that six weeks, there's probably about um, say fifteen hours work or something like that. But yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's labour intensive. But a lot of the time, is process. It's it's not like you're actually physically doing much to it. Mm -hmm. It's you know, it's a yeah. Do a bit and wait. Do a bit and wait. Yeah. yeah. Sort of put in the ceramic shell on things, you know, you can put two coats of shell on every every day and it, you know, takes about ten coats of shell to go on there. Then it needs to go into a kiln and and get cooked and that happens twice. Once to burn the wax out and then once to really um, fire the, the ceramic shell. And then obviously it, it needs to be, um, the metal needs to be pulled in and the shell needs to be knocked off then all the runners need to be cut off the, the bronze, and then where all the runners attached need to be finished, and then if, they, if there's any imperfections in it, which there usually are, they need to be worked. So yeah, it's quite labor intensive, then there's a finish put on the end, then you know, a patina usually put on it. So yeah, and then if there's fit-ins for it to fit into something, like as you said earlier, I fit things into the top of lampposts and stuff, yeah. so those need to be welded on. So how many do you reckon out of that 65 are left? There's a few gone, aren't they? Probably one of your most famous, I reckon, one of your most loved was the, the Angel in Shoreditch. I'd, I'd say probably 10, 15% of them have gone. Right, so not that many. Yeah, I think there's more of them still about than have been taken. Yeah. A few. A few have gone. Yeah, the the angel, and then they had the devil on the oil drum. That one's gone. Has it? Yeah. Then oh. there was the little one down by Hanbury Street. That one's gone. Brushfield, so, yeah, few, Brushfield Street went. Yeah, yeah. A few of them. Quite a few of them are gone, but there's still a few around. Oh yeah, there's the little one that was by Spitfield Market. That one's gone. As That's well. one. Yeah. 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 Most of the ones that are gone, they didn't get nicked, did they? They got, they got like hit by 
Uh, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think a couple of them were the posts were knocked down or yeah. you know damaged or whatever. Yeah, just destroyed. Some of them have been taken deliberately. You know. Have they? Yeah. What like cut out because they're welded in, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I've had some of them where they they um, have chiselled round them to get them out. Wow, how do you feel about that? Uh, well, not great, but well, what the hell? Yeah, it's bound to happen, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. It's a tricky. It's a bit sad, but I'm I'm not that you know because it, it's it, they they kind of not for me if you know what I mean. When they're out there anyway, it's it's already I've already you know you've done well, it. Yeah, they're already there. gone for me if you know what I mean. So yeah. on to the next one. On to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just the um, bronze that you work as well. You make guitars. Yeah. I haven't been Woodwork. doing much on the guitars for a while, but yeah. And um, marble as well? Uh, well, a little bit, not too much, yeah. Because when we had the gallery, you had a marble piece in, in one of our shows, didn't you, with, um, with bronze around the top? I do uh, work stone sometimes. and been carving some jade. Really? Yeah, only small pieces, but yeah, it's a nice stone to carve. Is it? tough as old boots, but um, it's one of those materials where it's really hard, but what you can achieve with it, you can't achieve with other things. It's so strong, you can make such fine things with it. So I can I understand why the ancient people used it, but it must have been incredibly difficult to do it by hand. I've got Dremels with uh, diamond tips on it, so right, okay. it cuts it quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I couldn't imagine, you know, doing one completely by hand. It must have taken so long. I suppose in that, um, in, in that, um, on that theme as well, I suppose when you're working on this stuff, you do have a kind of direct link to the past, don't you? Yes, and I, I, I've said that myself, and, and um, it's a nice feeling. You kind of think, well, somebody five, 6,000 years ago would have been doing something similar to this. Yeah. And so, you, can, you can see the timeline. Well, yeah, and you, you, it makes you understand, um, you know, kind of how much thought they put into things as well and how much, uh, you know, um, they kind of want, you know, work to achieve a certain thing, a certain look. And, you know, there's, the, yeah. I remember seeing um, a South American, I'm not sure if it was Peru, uh, but it, it, it was a ceremonial um, jade um, dagger. Uh, in the British Museum oh, yeah, 20 years ago or something now, uh, and being just gobsmacked by how beautiful it was, uh, and you know and how much time someone must have taken to make it, to sand it down to such perfection. Same, isn't it? I think that was your work, though. Honestly, when I saw like the the piece that you did with another piece that you had in our gallery as well, with the with, like the devil head on the oil barrel. It had like a water pump and everything in it oh, as well, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. I, I just couldn't fathom how much time and effort you'd put in to make something like that. But, uh, well, it's not a matter of time though when you're enjoying something, is it? Nah. Nah, that's <laughs> the it. The more time, the better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you still enjoy it? Uh, not always. Sometimes, you know, after 30, I think I've been there now 33 years working in the foundry. I don't always enjoy metal work now. I enjoy the results still, yeah. uh, but uh, I don't always enjoy it. I can't say I always enjoy that part of it. The, you know, I still enjoy the, the initial... There are always... I, and it's, it's difficult to identify when, 
Uh, but there's always enjoyable moments making a piece of art, and they're not always at the same time. Sometimes it's actually physically making a thing. Sometimes it's after it's finished. And fortunately, I still enjoy making things, uh, you know, so, yeah, but not always the bronze. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's okay. Yeah. Do you think you'll still keep going with the, um, the street work project? Uh, well, I'm getting on a bit now. I'm, um, I haven't mentioned my age, but I'm, six, I'm 63 um, next week, in fact. Um, Wait! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, going on the pride for a few pints, so yeah? I, I don't know, I kind of think, oh, I, I'm getting a bit old for this, but at the same time, I mean, every time I think of, of, um, of stopping doing it, because that, that partly as well I kind of think, oh, what's the point of banging on about uh, the environment? Uh, if people don't know about it now, you know, it's, it's a waste of time. But then, you know, things happen like what happened last week with the government saying they're going to go for more North Sea oil and gas again. You kind of think, oh, well, it's still a battle, it's still a fight, they're still not doing what they should do. So, yeah, I, you know, I feel like kind of compelled then, you know, they've got to, you know, they've got to know that there are people that don't want it. And I think if they realise that there are enough people that don't want it, they, even if they don't care about the oil, they do care about votes. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, a lot of their, um, a lot of their voters are older people, so it's really important that an older person like you is uh, standing up. Yeah, standing a lot, up unfortunately, a lot of the older people are still in denial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 33-odd years in the foundry then, and even longer than that working with metal, but your relationship with, with East London... I can't really imagine how it has changed since you've been here. How, how has that been for you? Well, I kind of think that um, if you know Hackney Wick, which you do, I know, yeah. um, the flavour of Hackney Wick, it, it's a bit rougher, but um, Shoreditch used to have that yeah, kind of feeling 20 years ago, a lot, a lot more. You know, if you go down to Hackney Wick now and Fish Island things, a lot of young people there, the vibe is got an edge to it. I think uh, shortage was a bit more like that in the past. I think, it, as people said, it, it's become a bit more gentrified. It's nice, you know, I still enjoy Brick Lane. I go down there, it's one of the most vibrant places in London still, I think. But, you know, it's it's lost that kind of, um, you know, student, people with not quite so much money, people who have just moved to London feel to it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because it's still, it's still cool. I still love it down there. But I think that's the element that's, that's gone because I think a lot of people... Like yeah. well, like you and me probably were there because it was it was cheap. Well, young people, you know, they don't have so much money, do they? And people that are here in college and you know art students and whatever. Yeah, there's still a lot, like a huge amount of artwork and a lot of sort of artistic activity down there, but but there's not that many artists actually left living around that area i don't think anymore yeah because i think it, it, it's that because it's retained that for because it's always been known for that for years so people go there it's like a hub do you still like the east end yeah yeah absolutely yeah and 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 it's not all bad where I, where i where i'm living in fact um you know it was um up in limehouse uh, it's, it's, it's a bit further eastern Limehouse, it's between Canary Wharf and Stratford on the Docklands, closest is Langdon Park. In the past that was all industrial area yeah. and quite rough, nothing happening there, you know, really grey, grim. Um, and that, that area has improved now I mean, by being gentrified, you know, there's nicer flats there, there's better shops. Um, it's it's better than it was in the past. Yeah, there's not it's not all bad, is it? It's not all good or all bad. Well, I've said this quite a lot on 
podcasts and in other channels, but I think um, change is not always bad. Change is generally quite good, and it's the only inevitable thing, but we just got to be mindful of a lot who that change is for a lot of the time, I think. And when Well, the area where I am, is it, it is a bit more for kind of working class people, I think. It's not a rich area still, but it's been improved. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Any um, any final notes that you want to uh, that you want to leave us with? Uh, can't really think of anything. We did mention geopolymers. <laughs> you mentioned geopolymers. Is there anything else um, in the environmental tip that you'd like to leave us? Well, not really. I mean, you know, it's just uh, I think we covered it. Those were the only things that I would kind of trying to speak with about in my work at the moment. They both, I, you know, I think things that people should be more aware of. You know, wind farms, they should be, uh, they should be using them, not turning them off. They should, yeah. be, they should be somehow capturing that electricity, whether it's, because there's various ways. You know, I said turn it into hydrogen, but there's other things you can do, is you can pump up, you know, simple things like pumping water into a tank, heating water, pumping water uphill and then leaving it go down and drive, drive a turbine. All those things can be done with wind farms, you know, with the, with the power, um, you know, instead of just turning them off. Yeah. All those little things uh, can help, I think. Yeah, definitely. Just before we go, I think the first time that I met you, we were outside the pride of Spitalfields, which is a... Well, it's the best pub in London, and some um, of the best beer. The best beer, best pub in London. And um, on a Saturday, we used to do like a lot of tours. So all the guys used to used to meet at the pub afterwards and have a drink. And we were outside chatting, and a guy came up to us and said, "Are you talking about street art?" And we said, "Yeah." And he said, "I'm a street artist." And we said, "Oh yeah, what's your name?" And you were like, Jonesy. And we all, almost all dropped our beers, and we were like, "You're fucking Jonesy." We've been trying to figure out who that guy is for like months and weeks and um and i think since then you became a, a friend and most of the most of the guys that were around that time you became like quite close with and that was um yeah i, I still i still remember that moment <laughs> so yeah i just wanted to remind you of that because that was um yeah that was a good well yeah you don't always memory. know and um, i i had a similar thing with uh with claude london one time I think it was before that, even before that time I met, met you in the pub. Um, I was so Claude is a photographer of street art? Yeah, he's, a, yeah he's, he's, he's got a great little, uh, well it's not a little book, uh, it's quite a big book. Um, yeah, Claude, he's a Dutch guy and um, I bumped into him one time on, on Brick Lane. I, w I was just putting up a piece of work and uh, turned around and there was this guy photographing me. And uh, so anyway, I kind of stopped, got down off the ladder and and he said, oh, I'm, uh, he introduced himself, oh, I'm Claude, and, gi and, and, and gave me his card. And um, said to me, oh, um, if you want to see some of your works online, I've got some of them. So, so and then I got back and kind of looked up on, and I thought, Jesus, he'd almost found most of the pieces of mine. He'd kind of found about 20 different pieces that were like in some really obscure places. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, well, Somebody's noticing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a nice moment. I kind of thought, you know, I, I didn't, at that point, I, you know, I'd been putting the things out and I didn't even know if anyone had seen them, you know, because as you said, they're quite small and they're, they're not easy to see and there's a lot of, you know, Some of them fantastic works out there that there is, yeah. capture people's 
you know, attention. So I was kind of thinking my little things, no one's going to notice them. No, they do, and they love them. And, the, and some of them aren't that small, actually. Some of your works um, yeah, some are, are a lot bigger. Yeah, a little bit bigger, but they're not, uh, you know, massive. No, but they're amazing. And um, like I say, every Hello, time... Thank you, Gary. Yeah, every time a new one pops up, it's really exciting. Josie, it's been so nice chatting to you, mate. See you soon. Thanks so much to Jonesy for coming and recording this. You can see his works over on his Instagram, linked in the bio. And as always, you can let us know what you think and leave a comment on the Instagram post for this episode on our Instagram. And give us five stars and subscribe wherever you're listening. This is the Alternative London podcast with me, Gary Means, edited by Stu Bindle. See you next time.